episode of Estranged. I'm really excited to have another guest with us today. Uh, today we have James Greer. We, well, this is the first time we've actually met. We exchanged a couple of emails, but we're both uh, part of GCAF. Um, and I thought it'd be super interesting to talk to James, just because I found a little bit about the background. And there's a genre of film, this is a nominally a, a film podcast but you know uh so there's a, a genre of film that we haven't really talked about but that i find really interesting is sort of like in terms of like kind of philosophical questions which is like the war movie uh genre uh it's a massive genre within film and you know i don't know why i have a few ideas as to why but like we are fascinated by war movies um yes we are i agree audiences are so there must be a reason for it so james is a as a veteran uh you served for like a number of years in the u.s 15 years 15 years and then you're now kind of moving into academics and writing correct and um i think it's kind of interesting as well because um the military always has this kind of like uh position within society at a given time and at, at certain times it can be seen as a positive thing at <laughs> certain times it can be something mm -hmm. that's maybe shameful or that we don't want to admit or talk about you know you think about the way that um we see veterans from say world war ii you know that's a a time when the military was like really glorified within society certainly in, in the uk like world war one a lot of things that came out culturally from world war one was a question of like the glory of dying for your country and stuff and obviously like now things are different, the idea of like the nation state and um, can we be patriotic? What does it mean to be patriotic? Are there good ways of being patriotic? Obviously, um, you know, the, the different wars that have taken place over the last 20 years or even longer, say Vietnam and stuff, um, with, I don't know, the development of media and all this kind of stuff, you know, it, it's, it's kind of complicated and it's kind of interesting and I think, uh, at given times within society, we can kind of maybe like throw out the idea of the military because it, it's something that doesn't really fit with our cultural tastes or, you know, it can be something that's like super interesting. And also I think that like, it's interesting to look at um, film, war films because it's like taking more of a subjectival perspective. And we can really see it from like the perspective of civilians or people who are within the military um and why people join the military all these different reasons and like also how far removed maybe the experience of somebody in the military is to people in civilian society today yeah i agree if i can just jump in there with the experience that last comment you made i mean there are two separate worlds going on uh, when when you when you talk about the military from the civilian uh we in the military um we call people who never served Oh, they're civilians. They're they're a different breed. They're lower than us because it, it's and we don't mean it in a bad way. It's just we're so separated from those people, in a sense, which helps say a soldier go into a a combat zone or into a country where they're operating um, via orders that they rarely understand, um, and and go out and view the civilians of this this. Um, conflict zone as just a an object of people we objectify um, human beings or at least in my experience because um, I 
whatever I say about the military to caveat, it's just my own opinion. It has nothing to do with the institutions or anything like that. Um, so when we talk about film, we talk about like war films, um, the, the general population, they go see the film and they see the Hollywood version. Um, they see the action, the, the millions of dollars put into explosions and millions of dollars put into actors who we know uh, that we've seen walk on the red carpet and we read in Entertainment Weekly. Um, we go there for entertainment to see war in a film. We don't go um, and see the meaning of war or, or the, the feeling and the emotion of war. We want to be entertained. Um, and it reminds me of that film Gladiator where Russell Crowe is standing there going, are you not entertained? And then that's what it is. You know, we, we yeah. view violence as entertainment. So I believe that in the plethora of war movies that I have watched, it's all about entertaining the general audience. And I think that's a good way to look at, okay, who is the general audience? Mm -hmm. And who is the soldier? And what's the difference? What's that gap? between those two individuals. I myself personally, um, I used to watch a lot of war films. I was, I was um, just amazed and, 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 and awestruck of, of the honor um, and, the, and the beauty of, of being littered with medals and everything. Mm -hmm. And um, that's what I wanted to be. And over time, I don't like to watch war movies at all because it raises up this memory of my own experiences that I just wish not to re-experience. Mm -hmm. Whereas an individual who has not been in a war um, zone or has never served goes to, to have the large popcorn and a large Coke and, and watch it for the entertainment so they can talk about it and say, did you see movie XYZ? Wow, it was so cool. And XYZ actor was really cool about it. Where the difference uh, as a soldier who is a combat veteran or has served in a combat zone um, doesn't want to speak of that because they yeah, actually understand the truth. Yeah, no, it's interesting because that just to touch on what you say about certain like experiences that people have had. Like often, I find, you know, uh, within discourse, cultural discourse at the moment, there's a lot of like sharing of your own personal experience and your personal stories and stuff. And I actually often feel that people who have been traumatized or like experienced like the real dark side of a certain thing that people are, like raise. Oh, now we're going to talk about this. Now we're going to talk about rape or this or the other. Like if you've actually potentially gone through certain things like that it's like you did this is not something that can just be flippantly you know it, it, it's yeah. much more complicated but it's interesting because um obviously you know we big hollywood movies i mean there is a kind of question of like what ideological purpose do those movies serve like is there is there a question of like are they legitimation mechanisms or do they kind of cover up the reality both of the experience of the soldiers and obviously the people on the, the civilians on the ground in the countries that have potentially invaded mm -hmm. but um it was actually another like film theorist who said to me he thought that all film all war films are um what's the word like sort of by definition right wing or something or like justify war and i i actually think you know there's there are maybe european war films and the war film that we were going to talk about today that maybe reflect on more on the experience of you know the, i don't know what like real because this is a very surreal film like what is. is real but um yeah a more complicated experience? Because I guess, you know, the Hollywood movie uh, is really powered by this kind of like um, narrative mm -hmm. motion of 
some sort Somebody of chronological, yeah, chronological and yeah, overcoming yeah. something very difficult mm -hmm. with an objective mm -hmm. opposition that you overcome. So yeah, okay, a war, quote unquote, yeah. is like mm -hmm. so suited to that. But obviously as well, I mean, that more linear warfare um, mm -hmm. maybe doesn't exist anymore. I don't know. I mean, certainly when we look at like Vietnam and the interesting films that came out of mm -hmm. Vietnam, obviously, you know, like the Oliver Stone movies and Apocalypse Now and stuff like that, that like, yeah, it becomes more complicated, right? It just, does. And it just, I mean, I think you make a really good point there, Helen, with the linear versus this sort of fourth dimension going on of mm -hmm. warfare now where in 03 to 04 and the road to Baghdad it was completely linear we started in Kuwait and we moved up north um, and it was objective after objective after objective um, not as conventional as say um, Desert Storm um, or even you know World War II and Korean War um, but there was objective after objective and you knew what was going to happen next 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 mm -hmm. Um, there was a path to success, but once that was finished, mm -hmm. it became unlinear, it became unknown, it became sporadic. And today's wars and conflicts that are fought are very hard to pinpoint uh, a, a concrete objective or solution. And mm -hmm. I think that's why we have so much conflict going on now that cannot be resolved, especially um, since the decolonization of Africa, mm -hmm. where superpowers left, created vacuums, and we have all this conflict and there's no resolution. Why is that? Because I think the linearity of war has gone out the window mm -hmm. and we have this big eye that's mm -hmm. trying to, to take over and rule populations for economic gain across the world. And it's always shifting hands. Mm -hmm. um, the 1% is always moving and, and morphing into something else. So I, and I think that's a very good point for individuals to keep in mind about, mm -hmm. about films that they see now um, concerning war and the connection to the human condition. Mm -hmm. um, how does this portray um, ideologies today? What they want us to perceive? And I'd like to talk about the stage and war itself yeah. later. Um, but yeah, I think that's a very good point about linearity and how this is not yeah. existing. It's interesting as well because you talk about like in Africa because suddenly like there's um, just from I have very, very limited knowledge about it but I do know there's like there's many more conflicts that say the US military or even you know other you know Western militaries are involved in in places like Africa constantly you know there's stuff stuff happening and um, yeah, obviously, when we, we look at something like World War One, that's this kind of like grand nationhoods and the mm -hmm. glory of the nation and stuff. Yes, yes. And potentially now, as you say, like that, that kind of clarity of pur purpose, apparently. Mm -hmm. Although, you know, and this is something, you know, there's a big theme in, in Vietnam, like why, <laughs> you know, eventually, like, why? but um, yeah, and the now, why yes. <laughs> like this kind of, we do live, and we were talking about this a little bit before we press record. Um, in this, like everything is capital capitalized. What we like, countries are run like businesses. And even you know, um, I did meet well, an ex colleague of mine years ago. Her husband was 
I believe this is kind of like a, a modern day mercenary, essentially. Mm -hmm. Okay. Which like individuals who serve in like companies like Blackwater. Elvis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I'm not sure like whether he was from. I think he was originally from Zimbabwe or something. But like, yes, he, yes. like this is a this is so it's like war um, that's not traditionally run by. Although potentially you still are acting on behalf of a state, or mm -hmm. are you acting behalf, or would you just be acting on behalf of a corporation? Like a job title. Or you submit a resume. I would love to be a, a war machine. Do I meet the qualifications? Why, of course you do. Here you go. Yes, here's a. So how, so how does that work? They 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 sort of like countries become. So who like who are these people? Like I mean, I guess like so they would work with countries, or they engage in conflicts outside it, of the parameter of country. My own opinion here yeah. um, is I, like it, mercenaries, in a sense, are just protectors of businesses. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. In, in a government, I must be very careful here. In a government, there it is run by corporations because mm -hmm. corporations generate the necessary capital mm -hmm. um, and income to sustain the borders of the country and therefore prosper and be competitive to other countries. And it, since we live in a global world, and these investments are in third world countries, countries that are unable to maintain their national borders to be, to maintain their sense of nationhood and therefore become vulnerable they become extremely porous um, so countries looking to gain resource valuable resources whatever they may be okay um, or their interests reside in that country hire military force to sustain that resource to come to them mm -hmm. um, so you have oh and also we can discard mercenaries mm -hmm. that become no accountability machines in this war machine mm -hmm. that we see enveloping our globe they are expendable mm -hmm. um, just like the soldier the soldier is expendable and we know this when i enlisted inside in the line i knew i was expendable mm -hmm. i knew it we all did Mm -hmm. um, but we served a purpose in this sort of, we were a, a cog or a gear in the machine. And I, I think, and that's what soldiers um, also do today. Um, and I would hope that we do it for the good of humanity. Um, I believe that we as human beings reside in violence. There is no way to get rid of violence whatsoever. And it's part of, of a, a natural phenomenon. But can we do something good with the violence that we have inherited? Um, as human beings. It's interesting because you know you're talking about sort of like the implications of the military and capital but there's also mm. like another side of it in terms of who gets you know talking about this question of expendability like who gets recruited mm. and I think you know um, a topic we talk about a lot on the podcast is <laughs> the 1968 quote-unquote revolution how like how and why it failed but during the 68 um, there was a big big criticism of, of the police and it was sort of students mm -hmm. against the police but yes. I mean, there's a very famous filmmaker and various others who at the time criticized this dichotomy because you're saying, well, the police are technically not of the same class as the students. Like the students don't have to join the police, you know, yes. mm -hmm. especially in the States, you look at things like education, a lot of people, and a lot of people join um, role or, or sign up for roles like the police or the military, because it's a chance to have, um, you know, a, a profession or, or a career, you know, in, in potentially a world where you wouldn't, be able to have something otherwise or you might be able to 
go to college and mm-hmm. you enlist for a few years and then you can go to college. So there isn't sort of like a class question about who the people are who are expendable. And um, when we kind of dichotomize um, us versus them, as you say, in terms of whether it's, you know, civilians and the police or civilians and, 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 and the military, and potentially, you know, in our, in, our t- in our age where we're maybe a bit naive to these professions or why people have to feel that they have to, to sign up. Like there is, there's a class question there and um, it is potentially easy for um, a certain class of educated, quote unquote, yeah. young person to, to just immediately I don't know if disgust is the right word, but to immediately think, oh, oh, you know, well, you know, you look at the Vietnam or whatever, you know, the mm-hmm. people who were expendable, there was a, a big class question, of course, a race mm-hmm. question and those who could avoid um, being enlisted. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of, uh, as you say, we live within this capitalistic world. So, yeah. And I think uh, I, I can tie this to this, this movie that, um, that we, we might talk about, um, White Tiger, the, the Russian film. Um, and about being expendable. I think one of the things that, um, that I would say is that we're all expendable, mm-hmm. every single one of us. And the real question is, are we able to accept being expendable? Mm-hmm. And most individuals who do um, enlist into military service, at least on you know, this side of the pond, I think, um, in America, is that they, they, they sign for a sense of nobility, a sense of honor. And I think most importantly, they signed for a sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. I joined the military because I needed purpose in my life because I had no idea. I was a lost soul, lost mm-hmm. kid back then. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea who I was um, from child trauma. And I, I wanted to be something, like my inner being was trying to find the being of who I am. And so I saw this you know, the, I saw Uncle Sam pointing his finger at me and saying, yes, you. And I said, me? I? Mm-hmm. Of course. Mm-hmm. And so in joining, I, I inadvertently accepted my fallibility as mm-hmm. a human being and my um, being expendable in this world. And a lot of people do not realize that they are also expendable. And one more thing um, is, and in knowing that I'm expendable, my purpose begins to lack Mm -hmm. and I have to justify how expendable am I? Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm an officer of a platoon. Therefore I am less expendable than the private at the far corner of the rank. Mm -hmm. So even in that, even, even in, being expendable we must create this sort of class system of being expendable it's like we can't even get away from the idea of class it don't get me started on this hierarchical i mean it's very yeah it's interesting it's it's power it's nietzsche's power in play you know and and so yeah anyways go ahead (laughs) it's it's interesting what you said about this idea of being expendable and i think this is something that today um everything is so privatized and individualized mm. and we're in a very liberal world and liberalism obviously is a you know there, there's a, a a film a film series made by adam curtis called the century of the self and it's the idea of um i the premise of the film i'm not sure i 100 agree with but how 
I would say, um, uh, sort of metastasized, misunderstood, misunderstood versions of Freud became this kind of like obsession with mm. self and all this kind of thing. And, um, you know, it, it's interesting that I think it's hard for people to see like where they, I think people want to find, um, you know, find themselves within a collective. But I mm. think that the market system we live in wants us to, to perpetually feel individualized as well. So I think there's a kind of, you know, there's a tension there. And obviously now at the moment, I think people are kind of finding it very traumatic not being within this collective, but also there is this drive to particularize that, you know, obviously a lot of the identity politics is about this, where's my place amongst all these different identities? How do I feel? How, you know, should I be addressed with this kind of thing? So, you know, that legitimate questions, I think is part of human nature. Yes. But one thing that I think is interesting with the military is that, um, Anybody I know who's been in the military or served and the world that I've uh, kind of experienced with it is it's weirdly, obviously, you know, within the kind of like um, stereotypical understanding of what something like the military is, that it's sort of a right wing institution or we might say, you know, you might associate it with the Republican Party or something like that. Mm, However, yeah. I would say it's much more weirdly collectivist in that there is an inherent sense of you know, fallibility of the individual. And working within the arts, I can say that it's the opposite. And the arts is associated with, quote unquote, potentially like the left. And, you know, the, the, mm -hmm. we think that the left is more of a collectivist thing. But it's actually the way that it's all kind of morphed and things have lost their meaning these days and, you know, terms have become unhooked from what they actually used to mean. It's much more self-centered. It's much more what it, what is my opinion? Where does my art stand? How can I get ahead? You know, what does my thing have to say to the world? So I think the point being, obviously that's quite reductive, but it is there is sort of a like a dialectic there of like we might think or associate certain more traditional systems with being more self-centered. And that now we're so liberal and you know, culturally there's a big kind of liberal quote unquote left push mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but actually like it's hard to say that that's less individual you know i'm probably not making myself very clear but the point being this is a lot more of a push to kind of potentially self-sacrifice within an institution like the military than not yeah i think with the it's it's a complicated statement you made helen <laughs> it, it's um because there's so much to be said there I, with the military um in experiencing um all aspects of it 100 percent, is that there was no alignment there is no political alignment mm -hmm. within the military in, in the end of things okay yeah, you can absolutely. have absolutely. your voice obviously mm -hmm. i mean we do vote mm -hmm. okay um but to be honest, our vote doesn't really count for much because mm -hmm. we're still going to do what we're told to do no matter who is in power of us. Yeah. And because we are constantly under the guidance and, you know, the, under the big eye, you know, of, of uh, whoever's in power, we have lost our own individual power. Mm -hmm. um, there was no power um, in Iraq. Mm -hmm. for me mm -hmm. because i had written this a very short story made in iraq in which um i felt completely powerless mm -hmm. over a situation because of rules of engagement because of limitations because of of fear um and 
that is because the people who are in power mm -hmm. over I as a machine conducting mm -hmm. its work, um, I do not become a human being anymore. I have lost my identity. However, in that, I as a human being must have identity. And therefore, I find the identity within a class system in the military. Yeah. Uh, which we do. And that class system is rank. Yeah. That we have created our class system. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah, it's, it's outside, I think, of, of governments within this little sphere of the military. But exactly. I think this is the thing that the inherent, like, I guess, you know, potentially there is a, you know, from like a more of a, like an idealistic. I, I always use the word, the term like left quote unquote now because I feel like the meaning, what we see culturally represented by the terms left and right, I think it's just nothing of the sort anymore. It's really hard to kind of define. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason why I use, I guess, the word Republican Party is because I think that's a fallacy, you know, and I always think, you know, that it's like associated with, because if we look at who started which wars as well, because of course, it, you know, it is, mm -hmm. it's an arm of the political, but it obviously has no say. And in mm -hmm. fact, I'm sure if it did have, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie In the Loop, it's made by the Veek people, but it was, yeah. you know, it's like a mockumentary about going to war in Iraq and the, the political shenanigans going by and all the disasters that lead up to it. And okay. the most, from my experience, the most accurate representation of a military general <laughs> I've experienced mm -hmm. was there is a, uh, a character who plays a military general who's desperately trying to not get them to go to war you know because <laughs> obviously he's experienced what it's like, it's like but um mm -hmm. yeah so it's kind of hard to I basically I guess what I'm trying to get at is the question of within um kind of contemporary liberal ideology does the military have the plate the cultural place that we think it does and if it does, can it be something different? So for instance, um, you know, there are a number of countries still in the world that have conscription. Yes. Um, and they tend to be ironically countries, you know, like Switzerland, and I think mm -hmm. some, well, Nordic countries until very recently mm -hmm. they had, they had um, conscription. And I guess the question is, it's like, you know, somebody of a liberal persuasion, and I use the term liberal, you know, loosely because who the hell knows what that means anymore, might be, you know, this is totally fascistic, we can't have our young people engaged in the military. But, you know, on the other side, if you're looking at, at it from maybe a more traditional left perspective, and this isn't to defend conscription at all, because I think, you know, there's other ways of doing this. You could say, you know, this is a collectivist thing, this is, you know, uh, spending two years, um, you know, with other people, talking about this class question it's like it's certainly someone like switzerland it's maybe a time when you as an 18 year old can experience life with people you wouldn't otherwise experience life with i mean the point being is that you know we're talking about like society being so particularized and granularized it's like is there something to this idea of the collective or organizations that are bigger than yourself or this idea as you say of experiencing yourself as expendable is that like really experiencing yourself as expendable yes. in some way we are uh, people that have stated, um, like um, Edward Wilson, uh, the the famed biologist who wrote the the big book on ants, um, and uh, I've been reading some of his books uh, lately. And, and you know, we are an altruistic species, one of I think eight or maybe a little bit more, but not that many uh, ants and termites being one of them. How about that? <laughs> and so we, we strive to to survive as a group. We must be a group in order to survive. We you know, no man is an island. 
and we, we cannot operate just on ourselves and be able to succeed generation by generation by generation. We could find solace and peace on an island by ourselves and go, that was beautiful. And then we die and that's the end. There's a period to that. Um, if we work as a collective, we achieve more. Look at our history. Um, ever since um, the, the beginnings of the Industrial Revolution, um, it happened not, yes, it did create a lot of problems and a lot of negativity. However, it did generate such positive movements of our species to where we're at right now. If it wasn't for this collective machine of the human being, we wouldn't be talking on Zoom right now mm -hmm. because we wouldn't have been able to develop it. And the only way to develop it was to work as a collective. Um, back to like, can the military be a part or that military uh, being in and of itself, this set, okay? Mm -hmm. let's, let's use Baju here and this set, okay, mm -hmm. of the military. Can it belong as a subset within the, 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 the main set of a human being? And I say, yeah, it can. Because in my experience, the military taught me how to work as a team member collective is a team you go into corporations jobs today and they say are you a team member we're a team member um and, and young individuals coming into the workforce being raised in this sort of radical far left liberalism i'm an individual pay attention to me i'm extremely narcissistic look at me i, I that's what i believe okay is that they don't work as a team. Mm -hmm. They're so focused on the I. They're so mm -hmm. focused on themselves and their ego. In the military, the whole purpose of basic training is to destroy that ego. And yeah. it works. It really yeah. does. Individuals who cannot destroy their own ego are discharged. Yeah. So there is no ego as a set going in the military. And yet you, you are able to create a collective ego. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if, if that makes any sense. And then, you know, you don't have to stay for life. You know, mm -hmm. I wanted to, but I had to get medically out. And you go back to society, because let's keep in mind the numbers here. I wrote them down. The numbers, a quick Google search says mm -hmm. that 1% of the U.S. Um, is currently serving in the military forces, all military forces. Mm -hmm. And uh, eight or so, seven or eight percent are veterans of the services. So you're talking less than 10% of the U.S. population has served or is serving. That's 90% of people who do not know what the military is. They only know what they read and what media tells them mm -hmm. and the stories, uh, this narrative that passes through their family possibly. You go serve in the military for two years. You learn how to work as a team. You come out hopefully taking that knowledge with you. So yes, collectively, as a set, in a liberal world, the military, yes, does have its place. Now, what power does with it is mm -hmm. different. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think the, the, the thing is, it's like, you know, this question of, um, well, the liberal left, quote unquote. I mean, it's ironic because if we need to be careful about, like, with the terms that I'm using. Yeah, and, but honestly, I think, you know, we were just talking earlier, yeah. like things mm -hmm. are just so up in the air at the moment because, I guess, yes. you know, traditionally we might have thought that communism is left-wing, although, again, that is also a question if you look at, like, Marx in terms of with a Hege Hegelian lens, like... And if someone really understands what communism truly means, we have yeah. some McCarthyism running through our veins. Still. <laughs> but yeah. so, 
so but the thing is ironically now this sort of you know i i think i distinguish liberal left from left but like this culturally liberal left whatever mm -hmm. the hell that means society but yeah no, totally individualistic and that to me liberal leftism goes hand in hand with capital like it wants us to be we want to be our own separate product to sell ourselves mm -hmm. as a our special individual everything has to be particularized granularized privatized separated but it's profoundly alienating and as you say like you know um mm. i think a lot of people and a lot of people as you say maybe end up in something like the military because they feel so alienated because just as we do have a um you know an experience of a self in the world our self is part of a community and if we are this communitarian sense is just not confirmed back to us it's like profoundly alienating mm -hmm. um and very frightening i think for a lot of people and i think a lot of young people are really struggling with with that um, yeah to, to add on to that real quick uh, with the military um it, when i was serving I had no alienation. It was only when I transitioned out into the civilian world that I began to sense the alienation again, like the, the, what I had before I, I signed up when I was 17 years old. And to come out and feel alienated because I felt different and I couldn't fit into another set that I so needed to fit into mm -hmm. because I am a collective human being. I must work as a team with other human beings to survive. Um, that feeling is unknown mm -hmm. um, to the generation of, of young people who come in, who have not served, who, who don't really know anyone who has served in the military, or at least individuals who don't know how this collective works, like the power of a collective. It doesn't have to be the military, it could yeah. be something else, it could be the church. Yeah. It could yeah. be Sports an ideology that yeah that supports um i just can only talk about military yeah, yeah. so the alien the alienation um is occurring within them without them even knowing um whereas for me i knew i was alienating mm -hmm. myself i knew that i felt this mm -hmm. and i had to find a way to sort of regroup and find my collective again and mm -hmm. I, I found that with talking to other veterans yeah. i found out by going into academia using my gi bill all right yeah um because i was in a two-year point of my like i call it the dark ages it's my <laughs> dark age right okay where it was so dark inside my being because i had no sense of purpose or no connection with another human being that I found myself, um, how do I explain this? I don't know, but needing to somehow reach out <laughs> um, from the cave to the light, you know, to try to find people who, who, could, who could understand me, who I could experience life with again, mm -hmm. um, because I was no longer in Iraq. Mm -hmm. I was no longer within my, my comfort purpose that I had. So mm -hmm. my, um, <clears throat> excuse me, my whole purpose with this uh, this book that I'm, I'm finishing up is to sort of portray, like the films that we, we'll talk about too, to portray what happens in the human mind mm -hmm. and to inform individuals who do not understand what's really going on behind the curtain mm -hmm. of war and mm -hmm. of, com of combat um, in hopes that they also can understand <laughs> what true alienation feels like, mm -hmm. what true loss of purpose and the, and the need to, to be able to, to communicate and, and live with fellow human beings absolutely and i guess yeah no it's just really interesting thinking about that and how yeah how as you say we can um, 
we can you you maybe think about this model of the military and and then um, uh, yeah how how potentially you know whether whether there's scope for for similar institutions with different objectives you know um, to emerge and it's interesting you know you say about like maybe a lot of young people don't even know that they're alienated I don't know like I I'm not from the like I'm a millennial I guess so I do find it um, interesting to see the kind of younger generation um, and the angst of growing up and how that's dealt with. And there's a lot of sort of like, um, you know, prefabricated identities that you can kind of latch onto. That potentially if they weren't so prevalent, people would experience you know, more alienated than they actually, like as, as alienated as they are, rather mm -hmm. than just these imaginary it's kind like of labels. Digital identities. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, absolutely. Social media and that. So should we talk a little bit about, we always end up just having these like long discussions and like rarely yeah. touching on the film. <laughs> yeah. So, um, <laughs> We actually were going to talk about two two films. We might not be able to get onto both of them. Um, White Tiger, which is from I believe twenty twelve. It's a Russian movie um, about uh, a, this mythical German tank. And then we're going to touch on maybe a little bit about Come and See. I mean, it's one of my favourite movies. I hadn't seen it for a long time, and I was just watching it this morning, and I just can't believe how good it. Like this Soviet movies from the eighties, seventies, and eighties, like really weirdly good. I don't know if it's something to do with like the weird constraints that they had at the time, but it's like so creative. But um, they both are like very surreal. And this was something about um, White Tiger that I thought was really interesting. It was a film you recommended. Um, and we were talking a little bit back and forth over email about kind of magical realism. Yes. Um, obviously, you know, that's a, it's, a, it's a literary trope that often, you know, emerges in kind of like third world literature and South American literature and stuff, but like the Russian, spirit to me it has this very kind of surreal quality to it and obviously magical realism is taking something strange and surreal and kind of like not personifying it but turning it into some material character so we have this character the white tiger which is this unbreakable german tank that just emerges from time to time and nobody can defeat it it's not even known if it's actually driven by anybody and in, in a sense does it even exist so what, what are your kind of thoughts on the movie i when i first saw it <clears throat> i immediately um thought that this tank this this um beefed up t-34 russian tank and um the the soldier I, uh Nadinov, i think it's <laughs> very I'm not very good on my Russian, so it's been <laughs> a long time. I think maybe my past life I did, I don't know. And how they rep they represent the spirit of war. Um, I read somewhere, it's also uh, about like this, this uh, sort of creation, this manifestation of, um, of the war machine and how each one represents this opposition that has occurred when um, war begins when conflict happens um, and you see both of them fighting each other but you also see none of them winning mm -hmm. against each other mm -hmm. I mean the, the whole movie ends with um, the, the tank uh, soldier you know he's never found his he, he's never defeated his white tiger and the white tiger has not defeated him and yet they're like ghosts of like you know Christmas past and they're just they're mm -hmm. just off and they go away and, and Hitler at the end of the movie says that you know um, it's it's always going to continue so I find that um, the white the white tiger um, represents the brutality 
the powerfulness, the beauty. A, a tank is very beautiful when seen in action. And I, I've seen it in action. It is a beautiful machine um, that, that is always going to be with us no matter what we do. Um, and and that's, that's a conversation there that could probably take like three hours to discuss what, what is the white tiger. For me, the white tiger is the spirit of war. It's the spirit of our, our barbaric nature, as, as Hobbes would say. So it's interesting because basically, so the, the premise of the story is that the story begins with a, um, a, a young tank driver who mm -hmm. has been burnt. Yes. It, with like 90% burns on his body mm -hmm. uh, and he survives he has a sort of like magical genetic condition where he survives this and he can't remember his background he can't remember mm -hmm. his name yes. and he becomes but he's this incredibly talented tank driver mm. and so he is this sort of mythical figure i mean obviously he's not really re you know in real life not really real mm. um, <laughs> and he even kind of has this within the film ability to like sense i mean he can't remember his mm -hmm. past as his like training as a tank driver or anything but he has this he believes that he can like speak to the tanks or he can mm -hmm. like, sense mm -hmm. where they are when they're in these it's also interesting like the tank there's loads of really interesting tank war films um there's a really interesting israeli movie can't remember the name of it all shot from inside a tank fury was really good the david ayers movie the comments after yes but um so yeah, we have this mythical Russian figure mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, against this mythical German figure. And basically the, the task of this, the, the Russian burn survivor mm -hmm. is to defeat the white tiger. And as you say, he never does, but the war ends, um, yes. but he never manages to defeat this. this uh... It's interesting that it does remind me there's a, there's a, a colonial film from the nineties about, um, British military uh, in Africa, kind of, you know, weapons of, you know, people kind of instigating colonialism mm -hmm. in the 19th century. And these two mythical lions that would just like come and attack them all the time, you know, these like beyond mm -hmm. uh, natural beings, obviously some kind of like message from nature or something. But um, yeah, no, it's just interesting, these two mythical figures. And as you say, nothing's resolved. Mm -hmm. um, and in a usual, as you say, we were talking about this popcorn, Hollywood, war films it's very much goody baddy obstacle mm -hmm. overcoming defeat win mm -hmm. yeah you know it's yes. not really about well, that <laughs> yeah. i to um you know i as an artist myself I'm a, I'm a painter and a musician too so um as an artist um i symbolize everything yeah uh, things become um, allegories and, and metonyms and metaphors and ironies and just symbols and they become that because it expresses um, a code in, in depth and detail and we as human beings we always we must find meaning in everything that we sense mm -hmm. um, either it's tangible or metaphysical um, and we there must be an answer always to what we see and view um, as infants, we chew on things um, like dogs chew on toys. You know, we, we sense the world. I'm not saying babies are dogs. We, we sense. Well, I don't know how far we go. <laughs> Let me throw that caveat in there. Yeah. We, we sense the world around us yeah. because we, we do not know anything. Um, and we, we attempt to create 
meaning mm -hmm. about what we see around us. And we imitate the signals that are coming back from us, whether from our parents, whether from our community, our set, our culture, our religion, or the ideology that we practice, um, social media that tells us what's going on. And so in the movie, White Tiger, we have the director, uh, Karen Shaknavzarov, I probably killed that name and I'm sorry. <laughs> coming in there, okay, coming in there and, yeah. and symbolizing. Yeah. What must, we, what must we symbolize? How can we visually tell the viewer um, underneath, the, between the lines, mm -hmm. uh, what's being shown? And what we have is like, we have the, the tank driver who symbolizes the rebirth and the continuous rebirth of the great patriotic war of Russia that began um, pushing back Napoleon mm -hmm. all the way into the end of World War II. It was mm -hmm. this massive nationalistic, patriotic motherland that must be defended. And so the tank driver represents this as a symbol of constant mm -hmm. rebirth. Mm -hmm. Um, and a symbol of fortitude, of, of not backing down. Um, and no, no matter what happens to the soul of, of this patriotism, it always must recuperate, heal itself, and drive on. Hence, mm -hmm. I mean, he was burned. He was, he was supposed to be dead. And yet he comes back and you can barely see the scars on him. It, it, that, you know, like you can barely see it. And yet he survives. This idea of Russia survives. Mm -hmm. But it's not the only point of view that we have because we have the very subtle, very subtle point of view of the German mm -hmm. um, idea of, of the, the need for living space, you know, of, of the German people, of the conquest of Europe of the ideology of, of fascism and of one race um, mm -hmm. coming into and encroaching on a separate power force, another power force, and they clash. But because they're so powerful, none succeeds. None succeeds and in, in you can't, an idea can be squashed mm -hmm. technically, but the idea that's rested inside the being of the soul mm -hmm is always there, it's, it's the logos of an idea. We wanna get back to the Greeks here, okay? Mm -hmm. The logos is always there. When a person dies, the atoms of the human being are always there. Mm -hmm. They don't disappear. Yeah, so I think in the end of the movie, it's that this insistent need to, to have a nation, to have an identity as a, a power force will always be with us. Mm -hmm. And our power force that we, and for this movie specifically, it just talks about violence, mm -hmm. the force of violence, all right? It's not talking about Russia or Germany. Um, it's talking about the idea of power and that this idea will always be with us and it will always come back to haunt us like the spirits of the white, uh, the white tiger and the tank driver. And they will always clash at some point. And what's funny Mm -hmm. is that it's true because what hitler supposedly says which is mm -hmm. just semantics yeah. um we see it in history vietnam war, korean war mm -hmm. then the vietnam war then um desert storm you got kosovo and bosnia Herzegovina. you've got the iraq war afghanistan 
um, and, and who knows what's in the future. You know, something else will be in the future. So um, that, that's the way I kind of see this movie as a symbol of mm -hmm. our, of our um, violent nature. It's interesting because, yeah, the World War I was called at the time, I don't know if it was kind of in common parts in the States, but they, in the UK, it said the war to end all wars. Sure was, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and also, I mean, it's interesting, there's a, where, where I am based at the moment in Northern Ireland, there was a, a long conflict for a long time and it ended, you know, it ended basically because it just got too unbearable and it, you know, it was just the, the cost of, cost of the conflict was, it was you know, exhausting. Yeah, exactly. It kind of exhausted itself out. Mm -hmm. But you're right. I mean, it is something that, um, yeah, potentially we, we all do know is there. But And I think a lot of people at the moment are kind of frightened. Um, oh, earlier in the year, ironically, potentially, <laughs> there was a lot of talk about World War Three <laughs> before coronavirus. <laughs> Remember, there's a whole thing about uh -huh. the Iranian Soleimani or whatever. Um, and I, there was always this kind of like, you know, oh, Trump's going to cause World War Three. Trump's going to cause World War Three. <laughs> Obviously, yes. the future never occurs and just the way we plainly imagine it will. But, you know, I think 2020 has obviously ended up being much more dramatic and frightening for a lot of people than we could have possibly imagined. And we see scenes mm -hmm. in the States at the moment um, yes, we do. of a lot of violence, as you say, a lot of like ideological conflict. Um, and I think a lot of people are fright, very frightened and potentially, you know, around the year 2000, <laughs> the end of history was published, you know, Francis mm -hmm. that like, you know, it's we're in this new era that capitalism is just the end of history and we're just going to be in a world where we just perpetually manage what we have mm -hmm. but yeah things are definitely changing and uh change comes with often you know, <laughs> violence potentially which is frightening yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah change will come with violence violence begets change and change begets violence um it's opposition and i'm, I'm currently writing an essay on like the ontology of opposition however simple that may sound uh, in attempting to be as objective as I can um, where it, the basic premise is and like why Tiger shows it too you have two opposing forces the two opposing forces must exist because one creates the existence of the other and vice versa but because one creates the existence of the other, it is opposite of this to make this exist. Mm -hmm. And if, if mm -hmm. the listeners could see my hands moving, they might get this, okay? But, you know, as I say, you know, like, like uh, green makes blue because blue isn't green. Mm -hmm. And so you have the white tiger and mm -hmm. the Russian soldier, they create themselves. Yeah. Um, because in order for one to exist, it must have its opposite. Yeah. And because you have opposition, for existence, you're going to have what I call varying degrees of violence. Now we have the ability as human beings to cull the yeah. degree yeah. to a point where our violence could be um, seen. An argument. Well, we could have a debate. Yes, okay? exactly. It yeah. Could be, it could be heated. Okay. Yeah. That yeah. doesn't mean I have to throw the plate across the room. Mm -hmm. That's my decision. And I think we need to focus on that, but there will always be this sort of of, of violence that occurs um, and, and uh, the, the other film Come and See uh, really shows, it's horrendous, really shows this, this violence that occurs um, not just from um, the, the instigators of the violence but also the other way around too mm -hmm. to, to make meaning.
I mean, it is. This I think it's so interesting. I just want to come back to that in a second. But yeah, come and see just with the the expression of violence in so many levels. I, it just really cleverly, um, particularly plays with sound. Um, yeah. But also, you know, it is. It is slightly obviously has sort of a, a surrealist, slightly exaggerated tone. Um, certainly, the way that the Germans are depicted. But of course, atrocities like as bad and worse occurred, obviously in World War Two. But like mm -hmm. you almost, you have to. You know, if the fact that it's shown through this, like I guess he's around fourteen-year-old child's eyes, just really exaggerates just mm -hmm. how like shocking it is and senseless you're seeing with this this innocence and it kind of starts with a a young boy um you know idealistically wanting to join the militia digging up um guns left by you know following you know previous conflict and uh german plane spotting him and then this kind of sparking off horrendous 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 violence i mean it's just Unbelievable. And talking about kind of Russia, this rebirth, perpetual rebirth, what a lot of ex-Soviet countries have been through is just unbelievable. The, like the amount of violence and conflict and change and war over the last couple of hundred years, just mm -hmm. unbelievable. And what yes. the civilians went through on the Eastern Front, just unbelievable. Um, Yes, it's just, it's just, you almost can't put it into words. And there's, you know, ironically, and well, not ironically, come and see is very few words. It's very much show, yeah. not tell. It's like, you know, come and see. It's a very kind of child, childlike thing. You're just like, oh, come, you know, it's almost like a nursery rhyme, come and see this. Don't tell me, show me, you know. Exactly. Yeah. And it's just, yeah. through this, oh, it's just, it's unbelievable. Yeah, I'm, right. I, I have literally never had words for it. I remember the first time I watched it. Just thinking, because like, there are no words in it. That's why. For everybody who hasn't seen it, you have to see it. And I think one of the disturbing things about war is that we don't want to see it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we want to, to have a standoffish approach. Mm -hmm. And the way that the director um klimov the way that he um has the characters looking at the camera mm -hmm. and breaking that that sort of fourth wall if i can use that term um makes the viewer it made me so uncomfortable, so uncomfortable yeah. you know that and i don't it's like i immediately say no no i don't want to be a part of your yeah. suffering yeah. That's why I'm watching you on a screen. Yeah. Yeah. Stop being in my life. Yeah. And it's it's a very important point um, to be made that we distance ourselves from the violence that we make. Yeah. Um, we all participate Absolutely. in some form of Absolutely. big violence. Yeah. Um, whether it's buying, I'm not gonna name a product, but buying a product that is ultimately made off the backs of of workers who mm -hmm. do not have rights who do not have clothing or food or shelter who are abused who are who become the capital as mark says um and we play on these products or use them and we have no thought of the violence that has occurred mm -hmm. behind the creation of a product and so the film attempts to warn us maybe yeah because it can't reach out and grab us, mm -hmm. but it will warn us. Um, and especially how the main, the, how the boy, he looks so young in the beginning. And they age he, him really interestingly. 
and I'm like, oh, and it twists me inside. And and from my own experience, um, uh, family members have have told me um, how I seem to have aged in in my the tours that I did, and yeah. then my own suffering that was occurring in my mind and my body. Um, and it, this movie really stood out to me in that, yeah. um, showing the aging of the human being, not just outside, but inside mm -hmm. as well. So yeah, the film is amazing. I think uh, they do that. I think they do the aging. I think they must put like, yeah. cause you look so young and it's not, I don't think it's chronologically a really long period of time, but I think they put like a thin film of glue on his face to create. This, I think like, they did like uh, underneath the eyes, you can tell a little bit and how they have cropped his hair. You know, yeah, 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 and it's 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 made him. But the the actor, I think he was like a no name kid mm -hmm. that he had brought in, and just the innocence of that mm -hmm. must have been traumatic for that boy back then. Yeah. You you can Google him now, you know, yeah. and it's it is amazing. It's it's way different than White Tiger. White Tiger sort of borderlines on the subjective and the objective. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, where the viewer can make their own decisions. Mm -hmm. Like we were discussing, well, what is the white tiger? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah exactly. You know? We can go back and forth yeah. and try to figure that out. But in Come and See, I have no choice in yeah, the matter. It's not just allegorical. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah this, I become the sense with yeah. the sound. I hear the boy. I am the boy. Yeah. Ugh, I am the girl who gets raped. Yeah. You know, I, I am all these things. I am the German colonel. Yeah. You know, and and it's it, it is a psychological thriller. If I yeah, no, it really is. It's so unbelievable um, how well it is made. Just coming back to you, you know, talking about the violence that persists today, like the commodity fetishism, obviously, of capital that we oh. we cover over. You know, all of the egregious acts that it takes to create whatever product we have with branding and things like that. Like, yes. it's unbelievable, mm -hmm. but. Yeah, how we how we are so far removed from from the reality of the violence that goes into and as you say, all this you know conflicts in Africa, minerals that are used to create our mobile phones and everything like that is, um, mm -hmm. and we just don't want to confront it. It's almost too traumatic to confront it, and we'll you know cast our history. Obviously, you know our history you know is extremely violent, and we don't want to repeat a lot of the things that we've committed. And it's quite right mm -hmm. to question our our past and stuff, but. I think it's an interesting kind of ideological ploy to project all the badness onto the past rather than to admit that a lot of what's going on to then slavery of all kinds persists. Mm. Uh, but I really like this idea of, you know, the, the one, the opposition and the one generating the other. And obviously mm. we're creatures of language. We only have language because we don't, you know, there's only a yes because of a no, you know, all this kind of stuff. And you do see this kind of within the true, political yeah. sp a spectrum within the states i mean we talk about this a lot on the on the podcast one of the in 2016 one of the placards that was often like shown in rallies or political demonstrations was love trumps hate as in love overcomes hate but of course you could read it in a more freudian way to say that you love trumps hate and that you get something out of it and so you require in your position this enemy that you know you get some kind of libidinal yes. investment in with this kind of binary so yeah, I know it's all interesting about, you know, is it possible to overcome that? Or can we can we just like understand that contradiction and conflict, as you say, is potentially part of life. And then we, by understanding that, we can, instead of attempt to repressing it, you know, understand it and come to terms with it and find better ways to deal with it. 
Yeah, I, I, I believe that that's the only solution that we have. Um, yeah. That, especially with things going on today um, in the United States, is that we have the issue of, of a, a binary opposition where, like you said, love trumps hate, that we must have something to hate in order to love. Mm -hmm. And so there is an issue of, of governance. And, you know, do we love our police force to protect us, to serve us, to be there in our time of need? Or do we hate them and defund them and eradicate them from our lives um, because we feel threatened by them? Um, so these these two oppositions, and I think it, go, it, it all comes to, can we be able to realize mm -hmm. and to accept that we will always live in an oppositional world? And in accepting that, we can have a clear mind to, to mitigate some issues, mm -hmm. to resolve some things, to change governance, mm -hmm. um, to, to move forward from capitalism and treat all humans as equal human beings Absolutely. and not just a select few. Uh, yeah. We can move from um, understanding cultures, mm -hmm. but not putting a big wall between each yeah. one and saying, I am this mm -hmm. and you will be that. Absolutely. And you do not cross this line. You cannot become me and I can't become you. When we could, I understand you and I see you and you see me mm -hmm. and let's share mm -hmm. our experience. Mm -hmm. um, and that causes us to, and this is the radical part, that causes us to do away with solid lines of race mm -hmm. that we created, yeah. human beings. We yeah. created the notion of race. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, that dissolves the lines of class system, mm -hmm. that dissolves the lines of religious um, opposite of toleration, intolerance. There we go. Okay. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. and it dissolves these lines, but still recognizes mm -hmm. the different systems of belief. Yeah. All belief systems are, to me, in my opinion, designated to answer. Mm -hmm. That one question, who am I? And mm -hmm. I had to write this down because I was okay. watching a trailer of your film, Making Love. Uh, yeah. All right? And in the beginning, the guy says, he just wants the answer. Yeah. He just wants peace. Yeah. Don't we all? Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, I, this is the thing. I think this is why I really, you know, I think that um, the position of, for, for you know, capitalism we say is very utilitarian, but it's not really utilitarian mm. at all. Mm. It's extremely wasteful, and actually, you know, um, is you know the motivation is profit, mm. not not utility. And actually, it would be extremely utilitarian to um, have to really uh, you know elevate the position of a philosopher or somebody who reflects, because I think mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. why of things is so important. And as you say, like why do we have these belief systems? Why, you know, why was race invented? Mm -hmm. Why um, do we have this opposition with this opposition? Mm -hmm. We never have time to, to like ask the question why. And I also, you know, the, the materialist question of like, where are all things, these things coming from? Like, mm -hmm. as you say, um, I think the question of race is so interesting. Like, it, you know, how has this thing of, a contingent adaptation to a certain environment become this mythical explanation quote unquote 
of so much for existence to me it's quite obviously um race was invented as a as a justification for exploitation under earlier forms of capitalism um and that's remain and you know certain unfairnesses have remained but it's still used as a weapon to not be able to actually ask the question of what capitalism is i think it's actually gone from um it's actually become like a justification mechanism for for yes i say not being able to question things but yeah i don't know so i think you're absolutely right like hopefully we can move to a place respecting binaries but not living into them or you know being able to overcome them in some ways or yeah, um, my, yeah. my uh my uh my um my drive mm -hmm. um talking about like transitioning from the military to the yeah. world and coming out of my my dark ages um with hospitalizations and, and doctors and all kinds of mm -hmm. things and uh seeing the world through the lens of what i have experienced mm -hmm. um in the middle east um and of my own action mm -hmm. and i came into academia hoping to sort of learn um ab about how we think and how we are and who we are you know the what where when why and how and to, to, to attempt to join the conversation amongst us as a human species, as a human race, as we forge forward um, in this ever-increasing technological world that's economically driven. Um, because we, I firmly believe, some other people might not, but I firmly believe that we will go to Mars and we will put our feet on there and we will continue, all right? It is in our nature to explore and there's nothing in the ocean, so we stopped, stopped exploring that and we must have someplace else to go. Um, and you look at history and you see that that's what we do as human beings. It's one of the most fascinating traits about us. We're always curious. We always wanna know something more. Um, and in doing so, the big question is, are we going to bring with us what we've got going on right now in this world of violence of discrimination of um of murder and brutality or and of one percent governance are we going to bring this to a new planet that has a fresh start because if we do we have doomed ourselves as a species or can we really change how we are between our, our ears, the way we think and the way we see and perceive, like the movie Come and See and how it forces us to hear mm -hmm. the things that we just don't want to hear mm -hmm. and to see and view things that we just don't want to see. Can we come to terms with our fallibility uh, and our being expendable? Can we come to terms with this so that we can move forward as a species? And I hope that in, in you know, pursuing my academics and writing these essays and books and doing these talks um, mm -hmm. to be able to join that conversation, to have other people join the conversation too. No, I think. You know, just, yeah, with university, sorry, with university, with academia lately, I mean, what I've seen out there is that it's, it's like capitalism. There's this 1% of people that are tenured that talk to each other in this yeah. one point of view, and it doesn't expand out mm -hmm. to all minds. No mind has a voice. Not all minds have a voice. And and mm -hmm. I think we need to change that. I know exactly. Loads of thing, places that used to be outside capitalism, mm -hmm. like like the university, which was designed mm -hmm. to 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 allow people to have time to reflect, is the mm -hmm. opposite now. But it's it's yeah. difficult because I think it, it takes a certain level of bravery to be able to 
have these kinds of conversations outside of the toxic system that exists it would be much easier to to think oh well i'm going to make a piece of work that you know the market's going to want to support because it confirms the ideology to maintain the status quo i want to be particularist in my work and only talk about these issues that are useful to justify form current forms of exploitation or mm -hmm. seem like a criticism but really aren't they actually mm -hmm. justify you know the mistreatment of a certain new group or do we actually think like no stop we're actually gonna do something that can't be capitalized upon that's actually just for the greater good i mean who knows whether one can ever do anything good you know but without the anti i think all we have now is in our, our main issues he says this new technological aid this one percent or fewer um control and decision making and the proletarianization of everybody else through this new form of capitalism and i really think the most important thing is being able to step outside of it if you can and that's a dangerous thing because that's it's hard to change the yeah. nation's governance um, at the top of a dime um, mm. to to be able to it's i don't know how it'll be done i don't think it'll be done in my lifetime you know um but yeah it's it's an open book on, on what we do with that um, we i think we just have to be open stay open and and listen more and and open our horizons is the biggest deal um to to tear down the biases to re-examine our personal narrative i don't know it's um it's a touchy yeah, subject definitely yeah, no, it merits discussion but you're right as you yeah. say it's a touchy subject and i think it subjects is. that are touchy are touchy mm -hmm. because it's not wanted for us to discuss them because it cuts too close to the bone as to what the real issues are going on today. <laughs> and I think we have to, and I think we have to to face them. I think yeah. it takes voices to stand up and say, mm -hmm. "No, you know, I I don't take a stand either way. Um, I attempt to to be not subjective. Mm -hmm. It is a learning curve for me. It's Absolutely. it's every day, you know, uh, because yeah. I want to see all sides of you, mm -hmm. all points of view. I want to see every lens mm -hmm. that's out there in order for me to understand. And I think we all need to do that. Mm -hmm. Too quickly do we assume um, something or someone um, or some force out there that we have inherited or been told that it's wrong. Mm -hmm. um, in the fear there is a fear of change mm -hmm. um interesting how we are curious human beings who want to explore but yet we hate change mm -hmm. and we want to stay conservative mm -hmm. um in our lifetime um and i think that's why we have such a slow progress moving away from racism and sexism mm -hmm. um is that because we hate change yeah absolutely so, yeah. Yeah, and I guess that comes into the conflict question as well, people not willing to give up a position. <laughs> and they don't, because my my identity of my position is part of who I am. And if you if you derail my opinion, I feel lost. Mm -hmm. I feel like I don't know anything. If I have this sort of set stone that, you know, I live in the deep, deep south, and my parents and my grandparents, or you know, my my forefathers were soldiers in the Confederacy. I lived near Atlanta, so you know, I, I hear these stories, mm -hmm. and how taking down this statue erases my family, and therefore erases my 
identity as a human being living in the South because you want your identity to be recognized instead of mine. Mm -hmm. There is polar opposition going on mm -hmm. and we tend to only look at one and not the other. Absolutely. You know? so, um, the understanding as to, as to the, the sense of threat that people, people feel when yeah. they ask question, yeah. And unfortunately, what, what bleeds is news. Yeah. And social media is our news. So whatever bleeds and is more entertaining is what we see. We don't see what's going on behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. um, we, we hear all the stories of um, unfortunate black individuals being um, murdered or, or um, um, violently attacked, but we don't see the stories of the opposite um, because it doesn't fall in line with the ideology that is in power or that is practicing a power play that's mm -hmm. moving their chess piece. Mm -hmm. um in the dynamic of our governance mm -hmm. um we, we don't see that where is that where is this news maybe we just don't have enough news outlets maybe we just that we cannot handle the the light coming in you know from the top of the cave to use mm -hmm. i love the cave allegory from plato mm -hmm. um we don't we don't see it and we can't handle all of it at once so maybe what we're doing is the steps necessary to move forward as a species and I just don't see it yet, okay? But on the other hand, maybe this is the wrong way and some of us feel that, no, something needs to be said. We yeah, need to absolutely. open our horizons. But. We definitely need to be able to have a, a wider dialogue and I think it's just a symptom of monopolistic media and tech control that, that we can't, um, and alienation, mm. where people feel uh, so threatened that if someone yes. said that, you know, um, destabilizes their sense of self being so alienated and not connected to others you, you feel at risk so yeah, yeah and then the film yeah the film come and see it destabilizes this yeah. it takes oh i'm going to watch a war movie and the movie's like no you're not yeah you're not going to watch a war movie you're going to be turned in on yourself mm -hmm. and you're going to walk away and think to yourself who am i Mm -hmm. in relation to know, as a human being yeah mm -hmm. that we i know that that's the sense you really get that uh Violence is so close to the surface, and God, that's that's somebody like Very me. True. Yeah. Very true. Anyway, well, thanks so much for coming on. It's been a really you, conversation, like a really different one, because uh, this is something you know I I had thought would be interesting, just because, as I say, like war is such a like a prevalent theme in movies. So, how can we theorize war on film without talking to somebody who's experienced it? It is. And if you think about every action or thriller or something like that, mm -hmm. um, from, from TV shows to movies and stuff, look at the background and see if you can't, if you can find one that doesn't even mention combat. Yeah, exactly. In this world. It's always yeah. present, always there. It is the white tiger constantly yeah. lurking around in the background, in the bushes and the trees. Yeah. Um, and, it's, and if we can recognize this is who I am, this is a part of who I am, mm -hmm. then I can find a way for my my ego and my super ego and my id to sort of come to terms mm -hmm. with with my natural instincts and maybe find a better way right? absolutely absolutely well, thank you helen so much i appreciate you and, uh, thanks for listening everyone